Hey, hey everybody, this is uh, your buddy Scoots, and we got a little time for, you know, it's 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 the holiday season here. Uh, actually, I mean, I'm just in, when I'm recording this, it's Christmas creep season, It's or whatever you call it, and it's not Halloween, it's not Thanksgiving, but, you know, I'm getting, I'm laying the track here. And, you know, I did some digging, I went down to the story swamp, and I said, what, ha-, you know, it's important to me, I just almost said a Halloween, but what holiday tales have not been told? You know, that's what I am always in search for. The ones that they say, well, that story doesn't make any sense. Or, no, you know, nobody that doesn't have, a, like, a, the right, and they say, well, those are the holiday tales. I mean, do, do you have, like, there's no store, and I think if I opened the store, untold holiday tales, they'd say, well, those are untold for a reason. And I'd say, well, no more, you know, if, if you know, I live in a world where I defy those kind of rules, uh, and this is a, this is a treat, you know. You're in for a treat to to sleep. You know, if you if you sleep through this, you're in for a treat because you'll be asleep. But otherwise, uh, this is quite a story. You know, one of those ones that defies all the odds of being told. Uh, but this is a story that that has a place close to my heart, uh, and it's called the Christmas tree that took a walk. And so it is a Chris. It is a holiday. I guess Christmas is it a holiday? It's not a holiday tree. It is a Christmas tree, I believe. Uh, but I think Christmas trees symbolize more than just. Uh, I mean, don't they? What do they symbolize? I'm not sure. Okay, this is a material. I don't know what a Christmas tree symbolizes. I know it's a place to put presents under. Uh, back when I used to go out, you know, and, and hit, hit it, if you know what I mean, it would be something that about four in the morning I would come and contemplate as I wavered being able to stand. I would soak in the Christmas tree. And sometimes even I'd sit down and just observe it. It would be pitch dark and turn the lights of the tree on. It's a place of, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to generate nostalgia. But I mean, I'm not kidding when I say, okay, so it's evergreen. So so is it a Christian symbol? I guess that's what I'm contemplating. I mean, I went to Catholic school, so all the nuns, luckily, they're, you know, yelling at me from another dimension, so they can't get a hold of me. But, uh, and once again, I'm not doing this to be funny or irritating. It is an honest question. I mean, I would assume it's evergreen, so that might have something to do with it, but we've cut it down. So that kind of defeats the purpose, you know, if a tree could I'd say, well, why the heck do you make me evergreen if you're going to, but I don't, you know, uh, I don't want to get into the, the, I don't want to speak for the trees because that's what this kind of story does. Uh, but the, like, uh, and, and this was a story I just happened to be a witness to kind of, you know, indirectly. But, you know, when I was a lad, uh, you know, my, my mom, she likes Christmas tree ornaments. Hey, hey mom, uh, hopefully you're asleep. But, I mean, in a good way. And that makes it easy for my mom to shop to when, you know, I can step outside of my own anxieties and worries and think, geez, what would my mom like for a Christmas present, a holiday present? It's normally would be a person, you know, a personalized or, you know, now that I have a daughter, somehow a Christmas tree ornament involving some of that. You know, it may be even also be treated with the dignity and respect by my son. I think we've gotten to that point, right, Mom? Now we're, we're there. We've made it. 
visit. I, okay, I can hear you now. You're in my brain. That's probably, but yeah, okay, I got it. I'll, I'll come visit soon. Uh, but so the Christmas tree, uh, like you got lights. I don't like um, I don't know. I probably shouldn't speculate on this. What the symbolism? Like are druids involved? Were, were like druids the original Christmas tree? Like, isn't that where it all comes from, or is that just my uh, thing, my misinterpretation of the facts? Uh, but this tonight's tale takes place at Christmas just like any other, uh, which is to say, like just like any other imaginary Christmas, but this one uh, took place in, in the city. It was so nice. Uh, you can give it a short nickname, the Cuse. It took place in Syracuse, New York, 315 uh, area code, just in case you need to like dial information and you know, say, uh, is this story true? And they say, I'm sorry, this is information. And you might even say, put me on the phone with, uh, you know, the the Christmas tree. I think one of my cousins had thought about opening a Christmas tree farm. I don't know if he was kidding or not, or maybe he has one. This is unrelated to that, though. But, yeah, this is the t- tale of the Christmas tree that took a walk. And it starts, <laughs> I guess I already tried to start it, and then I were like, uh, but, you know, I don't want to start with the, the stuff like the, it one, once originally this tree was growing. And just like humans, trees, especially trees at Christmas tree farms, in order to survive, you know, you need to use some cognitive dissonance. And, you know, as humans, we were pretty good. At, I mean, well, I, don't, I can't speak for anybody else. I'm great at it. Holy cow. If they're... If you could... I guess you can. There are certain careers that are based on cognitive dissonance. I guess like a, telling a sleep podcast, I guess that's the definition of cognitive dissonance and some resonance. I guess I'm trying to go for a little cognitive rest and resonance or maybe cognitive, you know, anyway, enough, enough. Uh, but just like humans, Christmas trees and Christmas tree farms practice, uh, and a lot of it's like subconscious or subtextual or just uh you know, we got to adjust, you know, and sometimes we maladjust and sometimes we can do yeah. Well, you know, Chris, like I guess the, like the way, just like human beings, I think a lot of our cognitive dissonance, we can learn from these trees. The trees know they're going to be cut down when they get to a certain size. And so they create like different mythologies. Now, I'm not partial, like I'm not partial to all the mythologies and these are a little bit different than belief systems or religions or anything. This is just like the things that trees, as little trees, start to yearn and hope for. And I think I'm telling you all this not to explain, you know, the you know the belief system of trees. That'll be out in Gingerbread Press for the holiday season 2028, the belief system of trees. And that is a pending title because it could use some tweaking. But it's to say that when trees, when the trees, when the holiday time comes and it's time, the trees have adjusted. So they're like, it is not like in the movies uh, that have never been made about trees and how, what it's like to be going from a tree just in a Christmas tree farm or a forest. Uh, you know, now, now if you take a wild tree, that's a whole different story. But these are trees that uh, they're prepared for their fate and they've like, uh, you know, they've created a system of, uh, you know, anticipation so that when it time comes time to get cut down, we'll just, we'll just put it out there. 
uh, for the majority of trees, it is not pain, like it's not painful or traumatic. It's it's a time for celebration. Uh, you know, like it, at least initially, because that's the only thing. The downside of cognitive dissonance is it's not a, you know, you kind of kind of got to re up or rejuice it. And there was this particular tree named Daryl. That was the tree. This is uh, the spoiler. That's the tree that took a walk. The Christmas tree that took a walk was named Daryl. And Daryl, like a lot of the other trees, had something going. It said, I can't wait to get to, get to Christmas, the Christmas that I get chosen, you know, and that it's a big deal. And Daryl came. Now, Daryl was on a tree farm where it wasn't cut your own. Uh, so, you know, Daryl got cut and all the other trees got put in a truck and they were chit-chit-chattering, chitter-chattering, oh boy, truck into the big city. And it was, it was a beautiful time. Like, uh, it was dusk and the snow was falling and Daryl couldn't believe, Daryl's like, this is the year I finally got a uh, chosen and here I go. And, uh, like, uh, I don't know what the trees told themselves. They could have known about Christmas. I don't know how that would have got back to the Christmas tree farm, though, unless they speak human languages. But, uh, you know, so maybe they thought they were going somewhere else, like Aruba or something, or wherever a tree would want to go. I don't know. I guess that would be hard because trees don't reproduce like you, you know, so it's not going for someplace where it could practice re reproductive acts. So it's not that... Um, so I don't know what would, again, I, sh I guess I should have found out, but it would probably be boring and be like, uh, you know, I think maybe love and connection. I don't know. This is just speculation. Let's just say that because it's easy for us to relate to, uh, that Daryl finally said, whoa, I'm chosen. And then if I, I guess this makes sense a little bit like the old, I guess this is a little tropey, but true, you know, like a pet in a pet, pet, pet store, a pound puppy. Like when a pound puppy, not the store-bought ones, but actual, like, says, you're the one for me, pound puppy. Uh, Daryl was waiting, and Daryl then Daryl arrived in this Christmas tree lot. And this was a good one. It had candy cane-colored Christmas, you know, like they took the time to paint the wood that was holding the trees up. And they had music, and they had lights, and... uh you know, they had the different types of trees, which I'm not familiar. You know, you got your, like, the, I guess there's two. Is, there, is Blue Spruce one of the Christmas trees that you buy or not? I ask that every year. Uh, but, all, you know, Daryl couldn't believe Daryl's like. And Daryl was in, like, in that perfect range, like the six to seven footers or whatever. I don't know. Is that the perfect range for a tree? And Daryl had great, you know, even when Daryl was plucked, they said, wow, look at this, like, uh, Look at the balance of these branches on this tree. You know, Daryl's uh, thistles or whatever they're called quivered with delight. And then a family came, a family with uh, six kids. They came to the lot, uh, a father, a mother, an old oldest boy named Andy who was a giant, you know, and the kids ran through the lot and started hiding from their parents and one another, arguing, you know, and then they got to Daryl. Finally, the parents were able to find most of the children. Uh, little Sheila, they they find little Sheila they couldn't find, but she was at she was getting hot cocoa from somebody. 
They, 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 the boys, you know, led by a little Andy, said, well, we need a bigger tree than this, 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 this tree. You know, they were at the sixth, and they said, no, no, no. And our ceiling scanner, you know, what are you talking about? I said, yeah, just like we need a giant tree, giant tree, uh, more room for presence. And then the parents said, you know, no, no, this is the height of the tree. We need six to seven feet or whatever it is. I don't know. And Daryl couldn't, you know, Daryl, like, uh, we've all had that feeling in our, somewhere on the, like, a diaphragm of our stomach where you're just, you're trembling, you're shooting with delighted, delighted anticipatory joy uh, that this is going to be, this is it, uh, like, uh, like, this is it. And then the family said that we'll take this tree right here. And the year was like 1980-something, and uh, Daryl was, you know, d- d- plucked up, and uh, I don't know what a Christmas tree could cost back then. Let's say $40, and they gave the person 50 And then Daryl was tied to the top of a station wagon with a fake wood side. I think it's a Chevy station wagon, if I could picture it. Maybe a Chevy Caprice uh, station wagon. And all the, the noise was going, but it was also a school night, so they had to get home. And then the kids, led by Andy, decided to, to try to, because Sheila had gotten a hot cocoa because she had ran into her friend Vanessa and her family, and they bought her cocoa. And Andy was incredibly jealous, so then the Andy tried, tried to talk his parents into stopping at the BK or Mickey D's to get hot cocoa. And Andy was all the way in the way back. Poor little Ted was in the middle of the front seat. Uh, I don't know who was stuck next to Andy, but, you know, whoever, maybe little Ted was stuck next to Andy and little Kenneth, baby Kenneth was in front. Uh, But it doesn't matter because then Andy started saying, uh, you know, he tried to figure out a chant, and then he said, you know, and Andy, and Andy was always a little bit up, so he started saying R-H-O-A, and then clapping, and then finally his siblings fell in with him. And then Ted said, what does R-H-O-A stand for? And little Andy had seen uh, the the Christmas, I think he he was confused about, he had never had Ovaltine. Uh, he said it stands for rights for hot Ovaltine. Uh, for Andy and, and all of you, R H O A, and then they said, "What's old?" And he said, "Well, they have Ovaltine in a Christmas story. I think it's like hot cocoa. So, but they just want hot cocoa." And then, you know, the poor parents of these kids, six six kids, so the oldest being Andy. Oh, and it was a school night again, and most of these kids, it's led by Andy, you know, faked brushing their teeth. I don't know why, what, what made Andy stop brushing his teeth, uh, uh, but he did. I don't, still don't know to this day. But somehow, you know, they relented and they stopped for hot cocoa, which took forever because the hot cocoa was so hot at these restaurants, you know. Uh, but, you know, we, there was a brief moment uh, when the kids, before, actually, before the kids, this was the 80s, started throwing the BK, uh, what do you call those, ashtrays at each other, like uh, Frisbee Stars of Doom. 
And then little Ted did get ashes in his, you know, not cold ones, ice cold ones, you know. And then the hot cocoa got dropped. And then uh, it, it, no one got any. It, it just splashed on little Kenneth's uh, powder blue with a rainbow stripe across the chest, uh, like one piece uh, snowmobile suit. Uh, it, it's you know hot chocolate kind of stain that a snowmobile suit of can, little Kenny's. Uh, but meanwhile, while this was going on, a snowstorm had befallen Syracuse, New York. A uh, combination of lake effect and the jet stream, wind chill, but it was a sudden one. Some would say magical storm. And it settled on the city. And and for these kids, it was really a dream come true because this was like school night one. Uh, and uh, like uh, school was immediately canceled. Only time in history it's happened. Two, they got stuck because there was a snowdrift action in the Burger King. And they were the only customers uh, except for a couple, you know, mall walkers that were, you know, already asleep at their tables and so uh you know that, 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 but that's another story now outside at the station wagon old daryl you know daryl didn't know how like daryl could sense that daryl's new family wasn't there and then daryl felt the car start to rumble and wondered is this the earthquake and then daryl tried to self-soothe by saying r-h-o-a uh, R-H-O-A. And Daryl thought, you know, that, uh, like, Daryl wondered if this was part of the, like, Daryl didn't know what to think. And luckily Daryl didn't get cold, but if Daryl could, it would. And soon Daryl's binds, the wind got so strong that Daryl started shaking. And uh, and soon the, 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 the cheap dime store twine that was holding Daryl on the roof was broken, and I think this was Onondaga Boulevard, I believe, was the road, but I'm not sure because even though I lived there, I can't even remember. But uh, Daryl was swept up in a swirling, swirling wind uh, up high, and Daryl flew by the BK, flew by Wegmans, and I think it was uh, Faze, a new place called Married to Med, I think it was like a new Mediterranean restaurant they were attempting to make uh, out of the old Ponderosa restaurant. And then it flew by over Lorenzo's and Bryce Chopper, Overburn Dairy. Daryl flew into Daryl. You know, Daryl just assumed this was all part of the wonder of being a Christmas tree, uh, but it was also exciting. And then Daryl was up in the sky, seeing the lights of Syracuse. And this is beautiful stuff. Now we're talking about a city, twinkling city lights with the holiday lights and some houses. You know, this was early in the season, uh, masked by uh, snow flurries and snow blowing. And if you have the distance in the, you know, the, the fact that you're a tree, that you don't see, you don't have a nerve ending. So you say, well, this is great. I'm spinning around in the wind. And Daryl almost thought Daryl could hear the laughters of the kids in Burger King, but they're actually crying from sugar crashes from too much uh, 
uh, like uh, hot cocoa that they're finally able to drink because they put tons of that whipped cream on there. You know, the kids would sleep on the floor of that Burger King with their heads on, you know, pillowy sesame seed buns. Uh, but Daryl swept higher and higher above Burn Dairy, watching the yin and the yang type sign of Burn Dairy spin up above whatever side, like whatever side, the west side, I guess, uh, up against it above Burnett Park. Uh, Daryl flew higher and higher and spinning and spinning. Strange, you know, strange because the jet stream was hitting the lake effect where. You know, I think it's because of the temperature of the lake and moisture and stuff. Uh, deep in the snow belt, uh, Daryl flew, and then the wind stopped, and Daryl started to descend. And Daryl thought to Daryl self, okay, this, this can't be right. The, the proof that even holiday trees have common sense, that Daryl heard the voice of the person at the lot say, Oh, what a what a span of uh, whatever branches they said. And Daryl uh, inverted Daryl's self, and as the air, you know, the whatever drag, Daryl's descent was slowed and started a slow helicopter-like spin. And Daryl crashed into 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 to the, the part of Burnett Park that. Uh, no one had been in a long time back, like, uh, there's these trails of this old city park with old rock walls that one time had water features that had long since dried up, or so they said. But Daryl hit one of those water features, now luckily with the uh, base of Daryl's tree, and so Daryl was uninjured. But there must have been some magic in that old rock wall and the old water feature, because uh, Daryl actually knocked to some of this this old water feature. Like they said, it was broken, but it was really just malfunctioning, and the water sprayed out just for a split second, obviously, because it was so cold, and then the water started to freeze. Uh, but as they said, there must have been some magic in the, this, this water that Daryl ran into. Because uh, the way the water sprayed out, it sprayed across the, the, I guess it's the shaft. It sounds so racy, but it is true. And gave Daryl two legs, and it was magical. And so Daryl, who was already sentient, which you know some people may have a problem with sentient trees, but I don't. I do not. I know. Of a few, Barky, the tree god, tree beard, like a tree. I don't even know what tree beard. Tree beard's a wise tree, an ant, some would say, and we've got Groot. So there's a history of sentient trees. Daryl was not the first nor the last, uh, but Daryl like uh, was also once this extra level of sentient came because Daryl now had legs. Daryl realized uh, that Daryl was cold. And uh, there was an oak that Daryl saw that that it had a den in it, and, 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 and like a, that looked like like it's carved out in the thing. And Daryl went into the den, and went inside the oak, and and huddled there, for waited out the storm.
And Daryl slept for a while, you know, slept there in the, the heart of this oak tree. And oak tree, the strangest thing, I don't know if there was a language barrier, but they didn't communicate, but Daryl stayed there and stayed warm. And the sun rose and Daryl slept. They think also, like, the, it was Daryl's legs adjusted, ice legs, magical ice legs, as if you want to be factual about it. And then night fell again. And then Daryl awoke and Daryl set out, stood up and stepped out of the tree. And said, geez, I don't even know where I am, but I know... Uh, I'm not supposed to be just sitting around here. I got to go find my family. And uh, they remember they were at a BK, not, really not that far, but for Daryl, all Daryl knew was thousands of millions of miles when really it was like about uh, like five, eh, 2,000 feet maybe. I don't know. I'm not good at distance. But Daryl just happened to set out in the right direction, and Daryl walked to the end of the trail and ran into a street. And then Daryl took a left. And it was, again, another cold, stormy night. Not as stormy as the night before. And it was late at night, midnight, one in the morning. So cold, so cold. But Daryl was rested and determined to find the the family that Daryl had lost and, you know, save their Christmas, one would say. And then Daryl, like, spotted the uh, sign from the burned dairy, and Daryl's mind started. And then Daryl saw the price chopper sign and said, wait a second. Uh, and I think there was a place called the West Side Inn or something. I don't know. The Westwood Inn, there was that one and another place. And Daryl said, I think I flew over those things. One smart tree, if you ask me, the Daryl. And Daryl put one icy foot in front of another. Now, there was this was not an easy trek, as you might think. Daryl had to make it through snow banks and snow drifts and slush. Uh, just to, to, this is Daryl's first full day with legs. Uh, look, they were magic. So I think they kind of you know, had some self-balancing going on. And then Daryl had to navigate the streets. Now, the streets were more or less empty. The only people on the streets should have been driving, probably. Little Andy might have been in one of those cars. And the cars would do the things like those of you that seen. This is when this was thick, thick, heavy lake effects coming down now. And the roads hadn't been plowed uh, since the day before. Uh, you know, they said, let's just wait this one out. Or maybe they had been plowed, and, they, and I don't know. So cars were were going slow anyway, and they had that slush and heavy snow on them, dropping chunks off. And Daryl headed towards the neon signs of grocery stores and bars and grocery stores and uh, drug stores. And then Daryl saw a sign that Daryl had seen before, but it was blocking. Daryl just happened to be in this corner where Daryl didn't have a view of the Burger King because blocking the view of the Burger King was the sign for the two-screen movie theater, Genesee, I think the Genesee Cinemas, maybe. And But Daryl, something in Daryl's mind said, head towards that sign. In the two movies that were shown, I never even heard of. One was called 90 Day Finance. 
And the other one was called uh, Bud Black. And uh, I, think that, I think that was an ad for some sort of new Budweiser that they were trying out. Uh, this might have been before Dry. But Daryl headed towards that sign. Or maybe it was a movie. Maybe that was like the Spuds McKenzie movie. Well, that was a different. But uh, and as Daryl got close, Daryl, you know, did the signs of the movie theater, the blinking lights, the spinning lights, uh, the, the you know, the, the smell of popcorn lured Daryl towards a movie theater that wouldn't, you know, those days were numbered just like a Christmas tree's days were numbered, you know. Uh, well, maybe not exactly like that. Uh, but Daryl headed towards the theater, trekking through the snow. And somehow the theater, if you, you, some would say, uh, you know, by some sort of uh, a miracle, it stayed open uh, to show films, you know, despite the nasty weather for people that didn't have cable television. Uh, the theater had stayed open also to host, uh, I mean, because it was in the middle of the night, obviously, to host uh, everybody that had eaten all the stuff at Burger King and then the other places. And actually, the people in the movie theater were begging, especially this one particular family, but other groups would just go, well, can't you just walk to your house during the day? But this was a different time. This was the 80s when people were... Uh, I guess they I guess they were the same as they were today. They'd be there's more movie theaters. So then the movie theater said, Well we could probably recoup this cost from the city or something. And plus people would way preferred sleeping in a movie theater uh to uh you know, the floor of Burger King. And uh, so so the, there was families there, like uh, storm refugees, I guess you'd call it. But Daryl didn't know any of this. Daryl only knew that something was calling Daryl towards the theater. He didn't know if it was a Bud, what's a Bud Black? You know, that's probably what Daryl was thinking. Uh, but right as Daryl, like, was about to, to mount the steps up to the theater, uh, Daryl heard the uh, old H thing. And Daryl turned to the right and saw the Burger King drive through had been, you know, and then outside of the back of Burger King, somebody was giving Daryl the old head tilt, hey, come on in here. And then Daryl headed over and this uh, person was standing outside the back of this Burger King. He said, hey, what are you, a tree? And Daryl, you know, Daryl doesn't have vocal cords, so Daryl just nodded. And I said, you want to buy some lights cheap? You want to get some lights cheap or what? And Daryl did a shrugging of Daryl's, you know, tree shoulders motion. And, you know, I guess this is possible. Like, the guy said, well, my name's Melvin Gordon. Uh, how you doing? And Daryl, I don't know how Daryl acquired some of these skills, but Daryl reached out a branch to shake Melvin Gordon's hand. And they went into the Burger King, which was now empty. And this particular Burger King had one of these signs, uh, the kind of signs you see a lot of things, a red dotted sign that usually uh, has a crawl that says, hey, this is what the lotto is. Now, at this particular moment in history, this sign was the cat's pajamas. I don't know if that's a thing, but of, of electronics. 
you know, that said, hey, buy a Whopper, get another Whopper, whatever, you know, get double cheese on this thing. F the McDLT, that's what it probably said. And I don't know if this was the spirit of Christmas goodness, but like that was also taking stuff from the Burger King, this Melvin person, but uh, they ripped the sign off of the Burger King, you know, signs. Also put the Burger King crown on Daryl, and this sign just shoved it in the middle of Daryl's trees. And the cord was hanging, and then it just touched Daryl's leg and fused with Daryl's legs, and the magic of Christmas powered up the sign, and the words that crawled across were, Thank you. And then Daryl walked out of the store and uh, he started to, you know, head back towards the steps up to the movie theater. Uh, but then there's something else that struck Daryl. Daryl's a smart tree. He said, check the parking lot, Daryl, of the Burger King. And uh, Daryl headed back to the front of the Burger King. Uh, we're not long before they had expanded with the sol solarium room, which was just like, uh, like a whatever you call that, like a glad. What do you call that place? We grow plants type front on the Burger King greenhouse. I think they call that. But Daryl saw that the station wagon was not in uh, the parking lot of the Burger King. But Daryl saw the tracks, and he saw the tracks headed towards the movie theater. And so Daryl followed those tracks. But then Daryl saw the tracks again, went off, and went into the streets. And Daryl wondered, should I uh, follow? The, and then Daryl said, oh, my sign. So Daryl climbed up the steps, and there was a young man uh, uh, sleeping at the popcorn thing. And Daryl uh, tried to... Like, Daryl was unable to open the door, and then finally Daryl was able to bang and wake the kid up, and then the kid saw a Christmas tree with a sign, you know, whatever you call that, a light-up crawl sign, uh, LED. I think these were the original LEDs uh, back when they, you know, were cutting edge. You could, you, you could buy them at Radio Shack, though. Uh, but who knows what the poor owner of this Burger King paid for this sign, but the kid looked at Daryl. And then Daryl said, have you seen a family with a station wagon? And the kid laughed. And, and then Daryl said, a family, six kids, one oldest kid, really mean look on his face all the time, bowl cut, and elastic waistband pants, uh, suede shoes with velvet. And then the kid nodded and laughed, and he said, he pointed they were gone. And so Daryl set off, uh, you know, in pursuit of the family, following their tracks. You know, I'm the case, just like FBI Director Comey, you know, like, uh, you know, track, you know, tracking it all down. Or maybe not like that, but it, whatever that was on the trend. So, yeah, Daryl uh, said, you know, step after step. And, and this was how smart Daryl was. Daryl quickly learned how to scroll things across Daryl's sign and see the sign would light up the snow and learned the pattern of the tires of the car, radial snow tires. So Daryl took a right out into Onondaga Boulevard, a four-lane road, and took, took a right out of the 
movie theater parking lot and followed it about 200 feet to a mobile station where the car had gone in and obviously either got gas or probably not, though, probably just tried to get the, some of the slush off the car so that the car could handle Velasco a hill. Uh, it usually is pretty well plowed, and in this case, you know, underneath the uh, the snow was some good uh, salt, and this was it, the lake effect had uh, a density and a wetness to it that you could actually get some traction. And so after the family had pulled out of the mobile and gone right up Velasco, Daryl started his trek up the hill, one foot in front of its other. Now, you might be asking what kind of, I mean, at this point, you probably already have it in your mind, but uh, what kind of feet does a Christmas tree have when they're magical Christmas tree feet? And I would say they're, they're a bit like chicken feet, three toes and then one toe in the back, but bigger and denser than chicken feet because it's got to support a tree. But definitely spread out, you know, like so easier for Daryl to kick, a lot like chicken feet. Makes it easy, like with even with toes, like uh, what do you call them? Claw, like almost claws. So Daryl trekked up this hill, Velasco Road. Only one car passed it, and it was some, somebody you know that had already seen enough strange things in their life not to stop at a tree trekking up Velasco Road. And the, the, then the wind really started to pick up again. Daryl realized that Daryl would have to pick up the pace because the the track of the car was slowly getting filled in. But Daryl got up to the first intersection and saw that the car had turned right. And he said, what is the name of that road? I don't know, Onondaga, but not Onondaga Boulevard. Maybe it's called Bellevue, but I'm not positive. I think Bellevue Ave, and Daryl took a right on Bellevue Ave, maybe. I hope that's, I don't know if that's the name of that one. But that's where Daryl turned, maybe, or maybe that was, maybe Bellevue's way up. Uh, anyway, Daryl took over the first right and tracked, and, you know, Daryl hadn't walked a lot, so Daryl tried to pick up his pace, but this was a longer road, and, uh, like, like this, at some point, I think it intersected with Glenwood. And that's when the, the snow got so bad that the, the Daryl lost the path. And then Daryl ended up wandering through the woods. And then Daryl wandered onto a golf course. And, and this is a long part, so I won't, you know, make you endure it. But Daryl wandered for night. You know, this golf course was, you know, it's 18 holes. And then Daryl walked back and forth. And this was a hilly golf course. And Daryl started to lose hope and fell into a sand trap and cried like a man you know at least mentally cried it curled up against the side of the sand trap to stay warm and then daryl you know the next day the sun woke daryl and daryl said come on daryl let's do this one for christmas and then daryl picked his spirits back up and headed a walk to the top of the golf course uh, to the tree line, top of the hill, and Daryl could see back down to the movie theater and the Burger King and the the other stores. And Daryl just uh, took a right because he knew that it's, it's left to leave Velasco Road. And Daryl had it, and said, Daryl said, well, I'll just go, until, you know, I'm going to go until I go no more. 
Uh, but Daryl still trekked, you know, even though the sign. And then Daryl heard the, the sounds of children. And Daryl said, my ears must be deceiving me. But they weren't because soon Daryl went up a hill and, uh, like, uh, as, crest, as Daryl crested the hill, saw kids sliding down the 18th hole of this golf course. Majestic, majestic hill for sledding with so many different unbelievable options you know because i think in golf they have like three different tees and the one tee is up high so you so many options for unbelievably steep hill great sledding there were jumps there were kids laughing and daryl saw a patch of orange hair on one boy and then he saw a boy with it despite his hat he could see the bowl cut in the boy's thin thin hair and grouchy face and the kids running around and kids going off jumps and wiping out and arguing and a harried-looking uh, father watching on. And then the father looked and made eye contact with Daryl, and Daryl uh, sang, said, Hello, I'm your Christmas tree. And the father first fell to one knee in shock. And then called the kids, 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 holy cow, look at it, it's a, a tree. And the tree said, hello, kids, I'm Daryl, your tree. And everyone started jumping for joy. And uh, like a fainting fact, the kids that were just roughhousing earlier were hugging each other. You know, holding hands and jumping in a circle, giggling, and soon they were circling Daryl. The father was hugging Daryl. Uh, Daryl signed and then introduced the kids, Andy, Sheila, Ted, Carl, Daniel, Kenneth, Ken, you know, Ken and Kate. And then, like I said, everyone, no one could believe that they had, a, like, a living, a tree that was once living that had, you know, uh, but Daryl also told them, you know, my you know, this, is, this is my season. And then they took Daryl in the house. And, you know, just like a lot of Christmas sacrifices, Daryl's legs, you know, were made of ice. So then th that stopped working. And then, you know, they plugged in Daryl's sign. And for a while, Daryl could communicate. But soon they decorated Daryl. And Daryl couldn't believe, like, uh, like, you know, then, then the, you know, the Christmas joys went on for Daryl. You know, there was a train with scented smoke. Uh, there was small, there was even bubble lights at one point and, uh, and, you know, the little blinking lights and the big bulb lights and different, you know, themed Christmas ornaments and kids pretending ornaments were like, you know, throwing them and, you know, breaking them too. But Daryl couldn't believe uh, that this is what Christmas was for a tree. Now, no, to Daryl, this was the normal Christmas for a tree because nothing out of the ordinary had happened. So to Daryl, like the fact that Daryl grew legs and went for a walk and picked up a sign and had to struggle to get to this house, uh, and the kids, they would lie under Daryl and laugh hysterically and then Daryl was there for Christmas, you know, and I don't know if that was the year of the gerbils or not. 
And then Daryl was able to teach, you know, the kids. I don't know if the kids, you know, the life lesson, the trees don't last forever. Well, is Daryl, you know, Daryl's my, you know, is Daryl, you know, the circle of life took Daryl. Daryl would never forget uh, what an unexpected, like, joy. It was so much different than what Daryl had anticipated, which I don't even know what that was, but it wasn't that... uh, even if it had anticipated a normal Christmas, this was uh, this was much, 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 much different. It was, you know, the, and this was, you know, it was all because Daryl didn't give up. Daryl walked because uh, it was a tree that took a walk. So, you know, that uh, that's a pretty special story for Daryl. Uh, and you shouldn't tell other Christmas trees about it because you don't want to set their expectations but Christmas trees don't quit. I'll tell you that much, ladies and gentlemen. If there's one thing I've learned, you know, Christmas trees, they get caught up in a windstorm and then, you know, magically get ice legs. They don't quit. And I'm glad Daryl didn't quit on uh, Daryl's, you know, whatever whatever it was. Uh, so uh, mer- mer- Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. You know, maybe there's a lesson there. You know, maybe you don't need magical ice legs to keep going one step at a time, uh, you know, slowly and deliberately through this season. So just stay calm like Daryl, just put one foot in front of the other. Even if you you feel like, you know, sometimes the holidays are giant snow banks and, you know, a tundra-like golf course of uh, feelings or whatever it is, and you want to curl up in a, a sand trap. Uh, you know, you can. You did Daryl didn't You know, maybe just picture Daryl sign saying, "Happy holidays." Daryl loves you, and Christmas trees don't quit. Uh, I mean, in this story. So, good night.